Pray me through this one, please. (laughs) Much of my time over the last six weeks has been spent thinking and praying about the, the farewell we are about to say to one another. At different times in my sojourn with you, such a day as today has seemed very far away. And yet, whether by death or by retirement or by a call to another ministry, this day would not be put off indefinitely. That we do this well has been important to our immediate respective futures, I believe, though I've struggled at times to understand what exactly it means to do this well. I've spoken as plainly as possible with the staff, with the vestry, and with other members of parish leadership about the successes, the failures, the shortcomings, and the pending opportunities for the cathedral community. I've offered some immediate direction about the days ahead consistent with the practices of the church when preparing for interim ministries. I've planned and prayed and visited and sought to share as much knowledge specific about our day-to-day as possible. Some days during the last month, I sat at my desk astonished that another chapter of ministry was to be written at this stage in my life. Other days, I've sat with you and cried for all the joy and hope and wonder that we have explored together at the foot of the cross. But most days, I've simply gone about the business of the parish, almost as if it were business as usual, hoping for liturgies that honor God, prayer vigils that give rest to the weary, hospital visits that are balm to the souls of the sick, programming that carries with it the inherent proclamation of the gospel and the Christian nurture that leads to discipleship. I'm learning, I am learning that the how of saying goodbye simply isn't built into my hardware. I think maybe if I don't talk about it, maybe if I just don't have to face it, it won't happen. I'll say farewell tomorrow, I think. Some of you have written to me about the difficulties of saying goodbye in your lives, just generically. One note in particular expressed the desire of the writer to re-script the practices of her family. Unpleasant and painful partings in her family had typically been met with an almost casual nonchalance that gave priority to the daily chores over the real pain of parting. I think, and I hope this is not a surprise to you that I might think this, that the Christian ought properly to turn to the scriptures for guidance in times like these. But you know, some of the examples that come to mind quickly may not be so helpful at first glance. For example, when Adam and Eve say goodbye in the garden and Goodbye to all the assurances of home. They are banished and centurions are placed at post to deny them re-entry. This is a tragic goodbye and allows for little rehearsal of the joys that have been theirs in that place. This, I pray, is not our goodbye. 
When the people of Israel say goodbye to Pharaoh, well, it it has a kind of mutual good riddance quality to it. (laughs) And an amazing chase scene that Hollywood has never been able to fairly replicate. This is the inspirational goodbye of escape where the oppressed eludes the oppressor to seek the dream of freedom. This is not our goodbye. When Moses dies just outside the promised land, he delivers a farewell address that's meant to encourage the people he's led and to hand over the command of the troops. This is a dramatic goodbye, bordering on melodramatic, complete with a death scene that would do Braveheart proud. This is not our goodbye. And then there are the goodbyes of Ruth, forsaking her her native people for a foreign mother-in-law, or of Elijah being carried off in a whirlwind, or of Israel being carried off into captivity, but none of these fit our circumstance. Preacher and people do well to steer clear of these and of the messianic implications of the great parting at the Mount of Olives. In some ways, Pauline overtones might apply here, thinking of the account of those travels in the book of Acts where the Apostle Paul journeys from one church community to another, planting seeds, preaching the gospel, and seeking to build the kingdom of God. But these, even these, only take you so far and seem to lack the intimacy that we have shared together. I think instead more readily, I think instead more readily of George Herbert's The Country Parson. When he writes in chapter 17 of the parson on a journey, he writes, The Country Parson, when when a just occasion called him out of the parish, an occasion that he diligently and strictly weighs, his parish his parish being all his joy and all his thought. When he thinks of leaving his parish, he thinks not of leaving the ministry behind him, but recognizes that what they have shared stands forever. Herbert understands that the walk of priests and people together points the world towards the very throne of God and by necessity fosters an extraordinary intimacy within the body of Christ. To say goodbye under this discipline is to feel the pain of lost intimacy, the confusion of accountability redrawn, the loss of a pastor, and the vulnerability of impending hellos. This is, in one sense, the character of our goodbye. 
the work we have shared as priests and people, declaring the good news, the life-changing good news of Jesus, offering the sacrifice of the Eucharist for the life of the world, living today as if the kingdom were already present, ordering our lives after the demands of discipleship in the cross. This has encouraged us. It has strengthened our fellowship and proved a witness to the people of Nashville, to Middle Tennessee, and the Diocese of Tennessee, drawing people from far and wide into this community. It hurts to think of saying farewell to this. It hurts simply to speak the word goodbye under this discipline. I remember 14 summers ago now, sitting in the Wheeler Room with Darlene at my side, summer of 2009, in the middle of an interview with the appointed search committee. They had a number of questions that they were asking all candidates, or it seemed so, and, and I suppose that I've come to understand these are, are questions that can be asked in many search processes and of, of all the candidates. I've never known exactly what category, what they were seeking to know from this question, but I've never forgotten that moment feels almost as if it were yesterday. About two-thirds of the way through the interview, one member spoke up and said, Timothy, imagine with me for a, just a moment that you're walking the halls of Christ Church and come upon the gallery of clergy portraits. I want to say, at that point, there was no gallery of clergy portraits. Nonetheless, <laughs> I was being asked to remember that, to think of that. Photos of previous rectors, each photo in this memory walk was to have a name the year served and an epitaph assigned, led by the people of the parish assigned after the priest's departure. And so the question in essence was, now imagine your photo hangs on this wall, how will that epitaph read the one that's written beneath your photo? Well, I'd read the profile, I knew a little bit Nash about Nashville, I knew about the Diocese of Tennessee, and I've come to understand that some form of this question is not uncommon. But I wasn't prepared for it in that moment, so I, I just took a few moments to be silent and think. It seemed like forever. But finally, after just a moment of prayer, I said simply this, I hope it reads... He loved God, and he loved us. To walk among you as a lover of God in Christ, loving you and your families, receiving your support in kind, watching you care for my family, helping to raise my family, giving Darlene and me plenty good room to love one another in your midst. These have been part of the great joys of my ministry with you. Any so-called accomplishment assigned to this administration pales in comparison to the work done together, building up one another, encouraging one another in Christ, and seeking the kingdom of God. There is, to be sure, continuing work to pull forward, the continuing welcome of the growing downtown neighborhood, the press of gospel principles on the capital steps. This is the 
peculiar gift of Christ Church to witness in the shadow of the Capitol. The opening of the hotel on Ninth in Commerce, groundbreaking for the Capital Improvement Project, the full integration of renewed history telling by the Isaac Project for the purpose of a determined facing of all four corners of the city, the furthering of our congregational partnerships with St. Anselm's, Gordon Memorial, and Noah, the standing work of walking beside the lonely, the disenfranchised, the sick, those experiencing any kind of loss in order that no one be left alone. There is continuing work to celebrate and accomplish the gifts of choirs, young and old, the brilliance of discipleship training for young and old, the steadfast commitment to proclaiming the good news of God in Christ, seeking and serving Christ in all persons. The bicentennial, third century of ministry for Christ Church is just around the corner. This city and the diocese will never not need the witness of this congregation. Historic, shriven, apostolic, renewed, and thriving. It hurts to face the goodbye placed before us, especially if it means in any way forsaking that walk. But of course, there it is right there, the seduction of relationship between leader and people, one that imagines the relationship would be determinative of mission. There's a reason Scripture doesn't provide the Christian with great examples of saying goodbye. Once baptized, once made members of Christ's body, you now sit at the table where the saints feast forever. Yes, I will no longer be your dean, your rector. I will no longer serve as your priest, but I will continue to stand and sit beside you in the body of Christ, in our respective vineyards, rejoicing in the hope of the second coming, clear that the moral arc of the universe bends towards the cross and confident that precisely because Christ has died, been risen from the grave and ascended into heaven, that we will not say goodbye rather farewell. This moment, it calls to mind the big picture of God's providence and of the promise of restoration of the, of the new Jerusalem and of the banquet to end all banquets that awaits you and me at the end of the age. Now, last Sunday, the Feast of Pentecost, I was met by a parishioner at the, the Broadway and Magnolia tree narthex following the 1115. Her, her eyes were damp in the course of a lifetime, she'd seen many rectors come and go at Christ Church. She knew what lay ahead for, for all of us. She took my hand in hers and said, well, Timothy, we're going to miss you. But you know, and then she took her other hand and put it on top of our clasped hands. But you know, now is the time for you and the time for all of us to remember that the Lord is our shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. We've lived in the generous detail 
in the particular of this relationship for some time, always seeking to be faithful, but now we step out from the safety of the known, if only for a little while, as a reminder that the Lord is our shepherd. Everything we need to know about meeting the demands of tomorrow, about meeting the demands of our parting is right here. Water and oil, bread and wine. That's everything we need. Water and oil, bread and wine. It may be demanding, but it's not complicated. They will narrate for you the wonder of God's salvation. Water and oil, bread and wine. Under each of these, you find the whole of the gospel. They will teach you of the servant's posture. It may take a lifetime to discover, but the good news of God in Christ is there waiting for you and waiting for me with all the power of the Holy Spirit. In the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead and the promise of his second coming, I bid you farewell in the knowledge that these, water and oil, and bread and wine, will lead us finally to the new Jerusalem where the saints feast forever around God's heavenly home. Peace to you. Let the people say peace. Peace Peace. again. Peace. Peace once more. Peace. Peace. Amen.